I think that this guy really felt that way before that happened. That was a manifestation of a whole bunch of bulls that he killed. It's like the, well, the, uh, the guys that come back from battlefield that have, you know, um, uh, the, uh, it's one thing when you're killing people in the fog of war, a lot of shit happens, you know, you're doing the best you can to keep alive, yada, yada. And to keep your buddy alive, really. But he's alive, I should say. But once you sit back and you think about it and you're back and you're sitting in your living room in New Jersey, you think, well, could I have done different? Did I have to kill those people? Did I have to do this? And, you have to... and that's what post-traumatic, uh, um, what do you call it? PTSD. Yeah, P- yeah, it's all about it. It's because you're starting to think about it. You know, did I have to do that? Did I have to do it that way? And I, 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 I can relate, although I've never killed a bull that way, but one day I woke up and I decided that even with a knife, who I am, a knife and a pistol, I'm still, the odds are not 50-50. And that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to make them 50-50. And if he was going to take me out, fine. When I got run over by, are we on? When I got run over by the buffalo, I was hunting with Crocodile Dundee, the real Crocodile Dundee. A guy named Barry Lees was his name. <clears throat> there was a real guy, Crocodile Dundee, and he was a club foot. He had a foot one about six inches shorter than the other. And uh, I told him that uh, I was just into hunting with pistol at the time. I hunted with a 454, which is the p- most powerful handgun at the time. And it had bullets about as big as my thumb. I had five shots in it. And I said, I want to get up close with a personal with a uh, buffalo. And he said, okay, well, I want to take him on 10, 12 yards or closer. And he said, okay, we can do that. <clears throat> he said, okay, it's dusk. It's like in the movie, except it wasn't out of Africa, but it was in Australia. I can just hear the music. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so we go to this water hole, which is about as big as this room. And the roots of these old trees are overhanging the water. So the big uh, bull was in there scratching his back. And he went there every afternoon for a drink and a scratch. So Barry tells me, okay, he's whispering like this. There's a big log crossed here. He can't jump over that because he's not agile enough. Now, I'm going to stand over here and I'm going to throw rocks at him. And when he jumps out this way, he's going to, he's going to come right at you. And you're going to have maybe one shot. Take him on between three and six meters, eight meters. I said, okay, I'm ready. So Barry's throwing little pebbles. Hits the big bull in the horns. He looks up at Barry. And then he does exactly what Barry said he couldn't do. He jumped right over the motherfucking log (laughs) and ran right over the fucking top of me. (laughs) Never underestimate how wrong you can be, right? So as I'm going down like this, I squeezed off one round, went through his chin, his nose, but missed his brain. If he had hit him in the brain, he would have fallen dead on top of me, but he didn't. He put one paw here, paw, paw. He put one hoof here and one on my groin and ran right over the fucking top of me into the fucking jungle. So now I'm thinking like a a train ran over me. I stand up and I'm going, fuck, what hit me? So then I realize what hit me. So then I turn around and I chase the the fucking uh, buffalo off into the, the jungle. Now, Barry, who's got a bad leg, is yelling at me, and I can't, I'm so pumped up, I can't, I'm not listening to what he's saying to me. 
And so I get within about 30 meters from him, and I go, boom, and I shoot again. I don't know if I'm hitting him or not. So Barry's yelling at me, Dan, Dan, you've only got five shots. Because I'm used to most handguns have six. Okay? So I fire the fifth shot. Now the buffalo is pissed. He turns around and he goes, just like in the movies, like this, and he charges. Now I go, I'm waiting until he gets as close as he fucking can. I ain't gonna miss him. Click. <laughs> and he falls dead right at my feet. Falls dead right at my feet. Now, why would any human being, sane human being, do shit like that? Because I'm not sane. Because I'm not sane. And uh, the, but he's up in the big hall, in the big hall. And if you come to my office and you see the pictures that are hanging on the walls, there's, other, there's another picture of a big buffalo, again in Australia. He's getting ready to charge. He's about from here to the back wall, and I decide not to shoot him. Because he, when I got up close, I, he looked old like Tom, old and used up, you know? You know? A stiff drink and a good fuck could kill him. So I didn't want to shoot him. So Barry's behind me taking the picture, and you'll see the picture on the wall outside my office. Barry says, well, you're either going to have to kill this fucker, or we're going to have to run. And uh, the, I said, some sinner, and he's, he's looking at me, doing the same shit, and they really do that shit. I don't know why they do that, but they go like this. They start scraping their feet. And uh, I'm backing up, backing up, backing up. And to make a long story short, I didn't have to shoot him. And then he went back into the herd, and he's old, and he's hitting the younger bulls. This is how you fucking do it, I'm telling you. <laughs> this is how you fucking do it, you know. And he says, uh, I'm still the stud of this fucking herd. And uh, when I saw him go back and do that, I, I should have shot the fucker. You know? <laughs> so now he's giving me a bad rep, a, a, a reputation here in Australia with the fucking uh, buffaloes. Um, but, uh, but then I got tired of it. I, it, it, it I, didn't I didn't think it was right, just like in that, that Matador picture. Because even with a pistol, I'm still, you know, even though I've been run over before, it's still, you know, in my judgment, it wasn't right. I still have guys, I still have guys that hunt all the time. But I don't. I don't hunt anymore. But I have the remnants of my hunting career hanging on the uh, trophies. And when uh, Brian Rose posted his interview with me from the trophy room, he took a lot of shit. He had 11, 1,200 people tell him that he was fucking a psycho. Why did I do, he do that? And the, he's promoting bad, you know, bad karma, bad this, bad that, because he did my interview in the trophy room. 11, 1,200 people. Maybe some of you, I don't know. I don't really give a shit, but so, but I decided it wasn't, I don't want to do it anymore. And um, Sally rather feed them, you know, like this, you know, but, um, but now, there's places in Africa, notably South Africa, where they raise the animals up like calves to feed them, and then they let them loose, and then they hunt them, which I think is chicken shit, because they're used to the humans. And so now, oh, you know, they're thinking they're going to come and get some feed, and they get the boat in the head. But uh, there was a time I did, you know, I was into that big time. 
And if you, if you, if you Google fuck Danbo on YouTube and you hear that music and you hear it about Botswana, dun, 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 is when I took a big safari into Botswana with the BBC film crew and filmed two weeks of mayhem, butchery, and killing, which has been cleaned up a little. But that I, I used to do that. I don't do it anymore, though. Don't do it anymore. Don't do it. It's a, a part of my past. But part of that past is, again, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm just not. But I wasn't afraid before that shit happened. Okay. When you lack self-esteem, you will sit and wait and hope and even pray. All the high-performance people that I've continued to talk about that are on the Hall of Fame and on my influencers are people that don't wait. They don't wait. They make shit happen. And the reason they make shit happen is because even though we're genetically wired to fear, they've learned to overcome that somehow. They've learned to overcome it. And there's different stories for different people and how they've learned to overcome it. But the, the, the operative part of that thought process is they have learned to overcome it. And when you make an offer on your first company, your first deal, is it too high? Is it too low? <clears throat> you know, will it be accepted? Will the bank renege on my deal? I mean, there's all kinds of parts to the equation that could go wrong. And guys, quite often they do go wrong. If I had a dollar for every deal that I had that I thought I had the financing in place that collapsed, you know, I'd have a lot of money. Because they just, you know, times change. And I assure you this $45 oil or whatever it is now has changed the whole economics of a lot of acquisitions for a lot of major oil companies. Not just oil companies, but drilling companies. You know, last time I looked, um, the rig count, uh, in the United States, there was 300 plus rigs not being used. <clears throat> and in the Gulf of Mexico, there was 200 rigs not being used. And there was two or 300 rigs in the North Sea that weren't being used. Because the average price or cost per barrel to get money out of the North Sea used to be $70, $80 a barrel. I don't know if it still is. Well, fuck it, $45 a barrel, you don't have to be an Oxford Don to figure out that dog doesn't hunt anymore. Now, I've been in the oil, I was in the oil business when you could buy oil rigs, five cents a pound, scrap. So an oil rig that costs between five and $25 million, five cents a pound. Five cents a pound. Now, I hope to God that that doesn't happen again. Or you YouTubers are gonna be in fucking trouble. But QLA works at $10 oil or $110 oil. Doesn't make a shit. Because where there's chaos, from chaos comes order. And we go in, and I'm getting ahead of myself, we go into a fragmented industry, a cottage industry, and I don't know why they call them cottage industries, but a fragmented industry, which is a mature industry, and we consolidate, we professionalize management, and we sell up. That's the bottom line. With a dream team behind us, with our accountants and our lawyers, which are extensions of our dream team, and with finance. 
and many of these deals will be able to overfinance. And one of the keys to overfinancing is get the, the sellers of the business to take back paper or, or, or be part of the finance. So they take, you know, 10, 20, 30% of the deal in, the, in a note, to make it simplistic, in a note. And uh, you pay off that note. And so that means you only have to come up with the 70 or 80%, the, the remainder that you need to finance. And I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to imply or suggest that it's easy, because it's not easy. But it's much easier, and it's the only game in town that's honest, that you're not going into a bank with a mask and a gun. And it works at 6% interest rates or 16% interest rates. It doesn't make a shit. It doesn't make a shit. It's easier at 6% interest rates, but it's not impossible at 16% interest rates. And even though, if you notice, when you listen to the Bloomberg or if you guys listen to those kinds of programs, whether when at 2008, 9, 10, when the financial crisis was, uh, you know, hard, they were still doing deals. They were still M&A. Maybe the M&A count was down from 22,000 to only 6,000 deals. But there was, people are still doing deals because there's always people that want to sell for whatever reason. It may be a dumb reason, but there's always people that want to sell. And the QLA is the conduit for that to provide them liquidity. Now, you can look at it like your mother Teresa, and you're allowing them an exit when nobody else would. You call it what you will, but it does work. And it works here in Britain. Okay? Okay. Good night. We'll see you in the morning. <laughs>